Chicago is a beer town. From its Schlitz Tide Houses, where back in the day beer companies would own their own bars and pretty much exclusively only sell their own products there, to the rush to open craft breweries over the last 10 years, which quickly boosted the Chicago metro area to have the highest concentration of breweries in the country, with more than 160. Chicago has also been home to many forgotten breweries over the years, including one that was based near the corner of what is now one of the busier intersections in the city at Ashland and Fullerton. I'm Tommy Henry, host of the Chicago History Podcast. Today we're going to look at the breweries on Bosworth, which between the years 1881 and 1965 had to battle the rise of prohibition, changing tastes and the way consumers like to drink, intense competition from larger, better-funded breweries, and more. Back in 1881, Pole Brothers Brewery was operating in the 2300 North Block of Cooper Street, just south of Fullerton Avenue and east of Ashland Avenue. If you are familiar with the area and don't recognize that street name, don't worry, Cooper Street no longer exists. In 1909, Chicago renamed many streets and renumbered entire stretches to make the chaotic numbering system easier to understand for visitors and even for locals. Cooper Street was renamed Bosworth Avenue from 2300 North to 2400 North and 2600 North to 2800 North. One year later, in 1882, Paul Pohl and Reinhold Henry were listed as the owners of the brewery, but this appears to have only lasted until about 1884. Paul Pohl again became sole owner from 1884 until 1905. An ad in the September 16, 1893 Chicago Eagle, a long-defunct newspaper that around that time published weekly on Saturdays. Uh, their slogan, by the way, printed under the masthead was, Independent in all things, neutral in none. Uh, the, the ad at the time uh, shows Paul Paul Brewing had Vice, Porter, and the somewhat vague Export Beer. The 1886 Robinson's Atlas of the city for that area shows a car depot and stables sharing the lot with the smaller building that housed the brewery. Also of interest, this was before Ashland Avenue's bridge was built over the Chicago River. So on the Atlas map, Ashland dead ends at Clybourne with houses at the T. In 1905, the company name was once again changed, this time to Paul Paul Brewing Company. The 1910 Sanborn Insurance Fire Map for that area shows the car depot and stables listed now as the Chicago Railways Company Clybourne Avenue Car Barn. The notes on the Paul Paul Brewing buildings claim a capacity of 9,000 barrels per year. Night and Sunday watchmen from outside calls four times per night. Fuel, coal, heat, steam, lights, gas, well, and city water. By August of 1912, Paul Paul Brewing had declared bankruptcy. In December 1912, Paul Paul sued Joseph Burkhart and Frank Lang, his former partners who he claimed offered him money to reorganize his company in exchange for stock, and for Burkhart, the position of president, and for Lang, the position of secretary and treasurer. Paul went on to say Burkhart and Lang soon gutted the company, giving up their stock to Rudolph Lederer and Sam Lederer, who once in control, turned over all assets to a rival company and stopped brewing beer. In May of 1914, Tabor Brewing took over the space once occupied by Paul Paul Brewing. 
Oddly, the use of Cooper Street as the address, this being five years after the street name had been changed, continued. In May and June of 1914, Help Wanted ads looking for sales reps to help sell Tabor's non-intoxicating beer showed up in newspapers in various parts of the country, such as Raleigh, North Carolina, Lincoln, Nebraska, and Fort Scott, Kansas. Less than one year later, in February of 1915, creditors forced Tabor Brewing to declare bankruptcy. The brief article in the St. Joseph Daily Press in St. Joseph, Michigan, mentioned the company started business when anti-saloon forces were gaining victories in Illinois. Keep in mind, this is a full five years before Prohibition. Pressure was already mounting for Chicago brewers. North American Brewing Company stepped into the space in 1915, not long after Tabor vacated the space and would remain there until 1932, with a stretch going by the name Bosworth Products Company after incorporation in 1924. The president of North American Brewing, I should point out, was Rudolf Leder, the same guy who Paul Pohl claimed gutted his company. According to oldbreweries.com, there were roughly 50 breweries in Chicago around this time in 1915. On January 16, 1919, the 18th Amendment was ratified, prohibiting alcohol. One year later, the manufacture, sale, and transportation of liquor became illegal and remained so until 1933. Without dwelling too much on the Volstead Act and Prohibition, it bears mentioning that pre-Prohibition beer alcohol by volume, or ABV, was often less than 4%. Budweiser was shown as 3.84%, Old Style was 3.46%, and Pabst Blue Ribbon was a mere 2.93%. Present-day Budweiser is advertised and labeled at 5% ABV, and PBR claims 4.7% ABV. May 7, 1920, federal agents investigate four breweries for allegedly brewing 7 to 8% beer in violation of prohibition. North American Brewing Company was one of the four. A pint of whiskey was selling for upwards of $41 at the time, roughly $500 in 2020 money. In May of 1921, the Wisconsin State Journal out of Madison, Wisconsin, reported three breweries were seized for allegedly brewing beer that was over 4% alcohol. North American Brewing was one of the three seized. During this time, there was also a big push to limit sales of malt and hops to home brewers. Home brewing anything with an alcohol content of more than 0.5% would remain illegal until 1978. From 1928 to 1933, North American Brewing was allowed to brew cereal beverage, more commonly known now as near beer. While this brought in some much-needed revenue, near beer sales in America in 1931 were estimated to be roughly only a third of what they were seven years before in 1924. In March of 1933, Bosworth Products Company was one of seven Chicago breweries given a temporary license to make 3.2, that's 3.2 percent, beer for the upcoming repeal of Prohibition. In all, there were 37 total breweries combined in Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin, including Pabst, Miller, Leinenkugel, and others. On March 24, 1933, the seven approved brewers in Chicago were allowed to begin bottling and kegging the estimated 200,000 barrels of 3.2 beer being kept in storage vats. 
At one minute after 11 p.m. on April 6, 1933, the sale of 3-2% beer once again became legal in Chicago. This day was known as New Beer's Eve. While crowds were reportedly jubilant, there were actually very few arrests made. Bosworth Products, gearing up for a reorganization and a new name, Atlantic Brewing Company, did not fully participate in New Beer's Eve, only releasing a small amount of product. According to Richard Deek, the general manager of Bosworth Products at the time, in addition to the reorganization, they were also readying a new product, Tavern Pale. Capacity was increased earlier that year to 100,000 barrels, up from 75,000 barrels before. In 1935, Rudolph Leder died at age 67 of heart disease. He had stepped down as president of Atlantic Brewing Company sometime before, going on to a position with General Bond and Mortgage Company. After his departure, his son Harold took the reins. Harold Leder's focus was on tavern sales, not bottling for home use. In addition to their flagship brand, Tavern Pale, they also introduced Tavern Dark, Tavern Pale Bach, and Extra Pale Atlantic. In February of 1941, Atlantic Brewing ran an ad in the local papers offering a, quote, once-in-a-lifetime, unquote, sale, which included a quart, a steiny, and an export bottle for 25 cents. This normally would have been uh, 52 cents. Response was so ginormous, they canceled the ads after three days. Post-World War II brewing was increasingly difficult for the independent brewer. By 1950, the five largest brewers had almost 25% of the entire beer market. By 1954, 200 breweries were for sale. 185 American breweries closed between 1949 and 1959. Although canned beer had been around since 1935, Atlantic Brewing Company didn't get on board until 1952. By then, their brewing capacity was 500,000 barrels. Slogans like, The Vintage Brew, and Sure, It's Different, It's Brewed for Men, were familiar around Chicago. Atlantic Brewing Company even sponsored Miss Tavern Pale contests on TV and even altered their slogan to now be, Sure, It's Different, It's Brewed for Men, But Women Like It Too. They also tried getting drinkers to save the bottle labels and cash caps in exchange for gifts in a catalog. These efforts brought some attention, but not the increase in sales they needed. Their solution? Go on a buying spree to expand quickly into a national brewer. In 1956, Atlantic merged with Bohemian's Twin Breweries in Spokane, Washington, which had been in operation since 1889, and a second location in Boise, Idaho. In May of 1958, Atlantic Brewing took over Terre Haute Brewing in Indiana, adding such beers as Champagne Velvet, Red Top Beers, and 20 Grand Ale. They said they planned for that location to continue as it had been. In 1959, Atlantic Brewing Company bought the Ambrosia Brewery at 37th and Halstead here in Chicago, giving them access to the popular Nectar Premium brand. In the winter of 1959-1960, the Bohemian Brewery in Boise was shut down. In 1960, Atlantic Brewing Company took over production of Regal Beer, Regal being lager, spelled backwards, 
which had been in production by the American Brewing Company of New Orleans from 1890 to 1960. The Regal Beer Can even reads, New Orleans Famous Premium Beer. Side note, in 2011, Anheuser-Busch, who had three months earlier bought Goose Island Beer Company in Chicago, announced that Goose Island's 312 beer, named for the Chicago area code, would soon be produced in upstate New York. There were a fair number of beer and Chicago history purists who uh, cried foul. I can't imagine how the Regal beer fans of New Orleans felt when their beer with a 70-year history left for Chicago. In December of 1962, six years after being acquired by Atlantic Brewing, it was announced that the Bohemian Brewery in Spokane would be shut down. The article in the Spokesman Review newspaper in Spokane claimed much of the equipment would be shipped to San Salvador for a plant there, which never happened. It was later auctioned off. The formulas for Bohemian Beer and Champetit, a champagne-type malt liquor, were purchased by the Blitz Weinhardt Company of Portland, Oregon for regional brewing. In June of 1964, Leo Lederer, vice president of Atlantic Brewing, announced they were developing a one-gallon container with an air pressure bulb attachment so people could enjoy draft beer at home. Before this, the only way you could bring home draft beer from a brewery was in a metal pail, which is what people did from the late 1800s to the 1930s, or in a waxed cardboard container in the 50s, kind of resembled like a Chinese takeout container. The glass growler, which allows drinkers to take home draft beer from breweries, wouldn't become a thing until 1989. In this same article, Letterer predicts mail-order shopping and use of in-home selling crews to reach an average of 17,000 persons living within a one-mile radius in big cities, and predicted a trend in gas stations as a major force in beer and liquor retailing. I gotta say, in some ways, this guy was way ahead of his time. By September of that year, the Tap a Keg Home Tap, which contained a new beer called Liederbrau, no doubt named after the owners, was available in some stores. In October of 1964, Atlantic Brewing announced they were in the process of establishing national distribution for Champetite, their champagne-type malt liquor, and said they expected to have distribution in California, Florida, New York, and New England within 90 days. I have uh, pictures of the bar napkins for Champetite I will put up on the Chicago History Podcast Facebook and Instagram pages. One of the napkins reads, Where there is a taste for champagne, there's Champetite. And one with an overly enthusiastic-looking blonde woman drinking out of a martini glass. With a caption that reads, The bubbles tickle my nose. In May of 1965, rumors started to swirl that Drury's Limited, Inc. of South Bend, Indiana, was looking to acquire Atlantic Brewing Company. At the time, Drury's was ranked in the top ten of the brewing industry. On June 2, 1965, it became official. Initial reports said Drury's would keep the Atlantic Brewery, now with an address of 1549 West Fullerton, in operation. But by August, there were posts in the newspapers of the day about liquidating two plants, the one at Bosworth and Fullerton and the one at 37th and Halsted. By September of 1965, Drury's merged with Associated Brewing in Detroit. 
merge company, going by Associated Brewing Company, was acquired by Heilemann of La Crosse, Wisconsin in 1972. Upland Brewing of Bloomington, Indiana, recently resurrected Champagne Velvet and sells it locally in downstate Indiana. In 1919, Chicago had 52 breweries. After Prohibition was repealed, there were 32 in 1937, 18 in 1950, 10 in 1960, and by 1969, Chicago had two breweries. The last Chicago brewery, located on the north side of North Avenue between Sheffield and Kingsbury, it's about where Best Buy and the accompanying strip mall reside, closed in 1978. It would be 10 years until Chicago saw another brewery within city limits when Goose Island Brewing opened. The buildings at Fullerton and Bosworth that housed Paul Pole Brewing, Tabor Brewing, National American Brewing, Bosworth Company Products, and Atlantic Brewing Company were later demolished. Currently on that land are two-story brown apartment buildings. I'll be posting pictures, ads, and stories that didn't make the cut on the Chicago History Podcast Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you're looking for some good reading choices on this subject, check out The History of Beer and Brewing in Chicago, 1833 to 1978 by Bob Skilnick. Also, grab a copy of John R. Schmidt's book, Hidden Chicago Landmarks. Both were used as reference during production of this episode. Do you have memories of Champetite, Tavern Pale, Regal Beer, Champagne Velvet, or any of the other products I mentioned? Do you remember the area when the brewery was still in operation? Feel I missed something or have additional questions? Maybe you have a topic you think might be a good fit for a future episode of the Chicago History Podcast. If so, send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. Special thanks to John K. Schneider for creating the Chicago History Podcast logo. He can be found at Angel Eyes Art JKS on Instagram or email at jschneider152 at gmail.com. As always, like, subscribe, and review this podcast and tell a friend. It helps us get the word out and reach new history fans. Get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe. Thanks for listening.